Let us draw near to God in prayer as we seek to engage with a text that is quite difficult, particularly in today's world, where there is a lot of controversy around these issues. And the text we'll be looking at today is not just 18, but onwards through to 20. Many of those laws are repeated in chapter 20, but focusing on the judgment aspect of that. And in between those two chapters are just general um, moral laws, which sound similar to the Ten Commandments. But because this text has a predominant focus on the sexual ethic of Israel, I've decided to focus on that one theme so we don't get lost within all the different laws. And so let us pray. Father, we come before your presence right now as people who are broken yet redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ. But Lord, may we understand that saving faith does not come without holiness. And so may we strive to live a holy life for your glory. And may that holiness not only impact how we treat each other, but also our sexual ethic. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, the first sexual revolution recorded in human history took place 3,500 years ago in the wilderness at the foot of Mount Sinai, encamped between an oppressive Egypt and the pagan states of Canaan, a pro-human movement launched. Wombs were liberated. Children were defended, families were protected, masculinity was prepared, creatures were even respected, minorities were dignified. In the Commonwealth, the community of Israel, God spoke a word of respect, dignity and justice for all. God revolutionised the ancient sex ethic. How did God transform sex? Well, over the past 10 weeks, we've learned about sacrifice, chapters 1 to 8. We've learned about the ordination of the priests, chapter 9 to 10. We've learned about ritual purity, what you can or can't touch, chapters 11 to 15. And then we looked at the Day of Atonement, which mostly looks at chapter 16, but flows into chapter 17. And in Leviticus 18 to 20, God now proclaims his moral laws to his people. These laws are dominated by guidelines, as I've already mentioned, about sexual purity. Moses tells the people that they are not to do what is the same in Egypt or what is the custom in Canaan, where they are heading, because they're going to the land of Canaan in the promised land. The people of Israel had to be different. Therefore, the law provided in this chapter a foundation for sexual holiness The law revealed examples of what sexual holiness looks like for the people. And the law showed the reasons behind sexual holiness. And so we're going to be looking at three things today. The foundation, examples, and reasons. Maybe write them down. Foundation, examples, reasons. And so the law transformed ancient sex. And so what is the foundation for this radical sex ethic? Because it was radical in those days. Well, the foundation for the sex ethic is for all the ethics in the community of Israel. And you should know this by now because I've repeated it a few times. It is the core, the command 
to be what? Holy. And so look with me at chapter 19, verse 2. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy because God is holy. And then you turn to the next chapter at the back end of it, verse 26. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. The will, the foundation for Israel is clear. It's clear as light, as day, as the sun. Be holy. And by being holy, they would be like whom they worshipped, the God of holiness. Israel was to bear the moral imprint of her ruler God. They could not contradict his nature. They had to live in alignment with his nature. The holiness that trickled down from God was to well up within their hearts as they sought to live lives that honoured God. This is the foundation for all Christian ethics as well, and it is holiness. Holiness. Both old and new covenant. Because 1 Peter also calls us to be holy as the redeemed people in Jesus Christ. Israel was saved to be holy. We too are saved to be holy. The foundation for our Christian ethic is Holiness. Jesus says this even, to make it even harder or more radical. He says this in Matthew 5.48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow, hands up if you're perfect. I'll be worried if you put your hand up right now because no one here is perfect. Then what does Jesus mean by this? Well, the word be perfect does not mean to be sinless per se. We can never reach, in other words, moral perfection in this life. Rather, Jesus states that the goal, the imperative, is that we aim for a sinless, perfect life. Our aim is is to mortify the flesh and become like our Lord Jesus, God in the flesh. The ideal future of a disciple is to conform to the perfection of Jesus Christ. Holiness is the foundation for following Jesus. And so how do we pursue this way of holiness that we see in both Old and New Testaments? Just as a practical side note right here. Well, the essential ingredient for holiness, I think, is personal discipline. In all honesty, I see spiritual growth like physical fitness. It is hard work. If I'm going to build lean muscle mass, I need to guard my diet like a hawk. I need to track all my macros. I need to stress my muscles so that they get progressive overload, which leads to muscle growth rather than muscle loss. And I need to spend quality time resting and be consistent in both that work and rest. If I lose my discipline, my metabolism will slow down. My muscle will, over time, turn to fat. 
Um, you need to be consistent, be disciplined, if you desire to grow in godliness. That is the way to grow. Like, like physical fitness, the only way to progress spiritually is through, in a sense, that progressive overload. You need to know what your spirit needs and intensify your spiritual workouts. And so if you lack understanding of Scripture, feasting on the Word of God will make you holy. Like the lady in that video we just watched. If your faith is being privatized, holiness will expand in your life as you seek to evangelize your neighbors or commit to public worship. If you're unable to see your blind spots, maybe you need a personal trainer, a spiritual coach who can come alongside you and nurture you in the faith. If your flesh is weak, run to Christ and pray with David, create in me a pure heart, O oh God. We need to pursue holiness like it's a spiritual discipline. The foundation of all morality is a disciplined pursuit of holiness. And so I just want to stay that, state that up front. We won't grow in holiness unless we make it our goal. Unless we strive to be perfect as Jesus calls us to be. We should be always growing in our godliness. Sometimes we'll have two step forwards and one step back, but we should continue to grow and be a greater light bearer of Jesus Christ in this world. And so, just to recap for a moment, we've learnt about the essential foundation for a life of morality, and that is what? Holiness. Leviticus 18 now gives us many examples that teach us about this revolutionary sex ethic. And I'm going to provide three examples. I can't look at all 25 or whatever it is. There's just too many to look at. So I'm going to boil it down to three examples. First, Israel had to be holy with their relatives. And so go back to chapter 18 and look at verse 17 with me. Do not have sexual relations with a woman and her daughter. Do not have sexual relations with either her son's daughters or her daughter's daughters. They are close relatives. That is what? Wickedness. Men could not have sex with their mothers, their sisters, their daughters, their grandkids, their aunties, their in-laws, their nieces. All these were gross acts before God. If a person breached these conditions for family purity, it was wicked, an activity of great social shame and dishonor to God. And so you could not have sex with your relatives in ancient Israel. Secondly, Israel had to be holy with their neighbors, their neighbors. Leviticus 18.20 says, do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself. This reminds us of the seventh commandment in the Ten Commandments. Do not commit what? Adultery. This too is seen as an act of great social shame that makes a person unclean before God. You cannot have sex with someone who's not your wife. Third of Israel had to be holy with their gender. Leviticus 18.22 says, Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. 
That's probably one of the strongest words used in this whole chapter here. This was a revolutionary ethic not to have um, homosexual sex, particularly in a world which was entrenched in those types of behaviours. Unlike the Egyptians and Canaanites, the men of Israel could not commit shameful acts with other men. The sin of Sodom was seen as, quote, detestable to God. The Hebrew tells us that that was a repulsive act to him, like a nauseous feeling that wells up within your stomach. That's the type of feeling expressed by God in this extended text today. These type of activities make God want to vomit. They make God want to spew up. And so in, in the ancient world, people lived by that pagan ethic, love is love. Through their freedom of desire, the spirit of Sodom gave license to all forms of lust. But Israel had to be different. Temple prostitution, child sacrifice, period sex, bestiality, all these things were banned. One rabbi actually comments on this text and says this, Jewish law holds that no hedonistic ethic, even if called love, can justify the morality of homosexuality any more than it can legitimize adultery, incest, or polygamy. And so God had a clear ethic for sex. And it is found back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve. That's the sex ethic that God is bringing to his people throughout these do's and don'ts laws. This is the only sex ethic that is deemed holy and that God chooses to bless in Scripture. And so while these ideas were not popular in the time of Moses, in the time of Paul, or even in our modern time, the Scriptures are consistent on this issue. The only sex that is holy to God is between a husband and a wife. That's the only sex that is honourable, according to the way of Jesus. All other forms of sex do not have their origins in God, but if we go back to the source material in Leviticus, those other forms actually have their grounds in paganism, ancient paganism, which was not a pro-life movement, but a pro-death, pro-choice movement movement. True love clings to the truth. True love is not liberal in expression. That is not love of thy neighbor. And so let us, in the words of Paul, worship and serve the creator according to his design. You will flourish if you live in alignment with that sex ethic. Sexual fluidity and creativity do not produce a good life. It lives to, produces a life of trauma and chaos and disorder. The true formula for human flourishing is the sacred order for sex inscribed into the bedrock of creation. It is inscribed into our very bodies. We are made male and female. Some of us have penises, others have vaginas. Those things fit together in perfection as God designed. They, have, they make their perfect home in each other. Where those parts of our bodies invade into weird territories, that's what makes God want to vomit. 
because that's not what he designed us to do. Hard teaching. So we've learned about the foundation of sex, holiness. We've learned some examples of what unholy sex looks like. And now we learn in these chapters three reasons why this should be pursued, this sex ethic. Reason one, to be holy is to be prosperous, to be people of prosperity. Leviticus 18.5 says, Keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. These laws were not designed to be burdensome, but rather a delight for the rescued heart, the rescued person. The people of God had come out of pagan lands and were now called, in the words of Deuteronomy, to choose life. In other words, prosperity is a choice that you need to make, Israel. To be unbelievers in Israel would see these laws of moral purity like do's or don'ts. They would be burdensome to the unbeliever within Israel. But to the believer in Israel, those who trusted in the promises of God, these laws were a delight. Oh, I don't have to worry about these things anymore. I don't have to worry about Egyptians, men of power, taking my my wives and raping them or taking my children and destroying them. I don't have to worry about these things anymore because God has given me this sex ethic. Wow, God, thank you, God. And so for those who were truly redeemed, they saw these things as a delight for the heart. They were an invitation to look forward to a happy and prosperous life. And we see this this goal of this reason in chapter 20, verse 24. Look with me there. This is the prosperity that is promised to those who are faithful. But I said to you, you will possess their land. That is the Canaanites land. I'll give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. And so there would be a great reward for those who chose life, who chose holiness. The second reason for holiness is to be protected from God's wrath. And so look at me, chapter 18, 28. 18, 28. And if you defile the land... It will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. And this is probably the most graphic image in this particular text. The land of Israel is at risk of gastritis. Think about that. When its stomach lining is inflamed due to sin, it vomits out all the unwanted waste, which is a rebellious people. God is intolerable of sexual sin, and in the whole Bible, it is considered unpalatable to him. If you're not sure about that, look with me at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, and it makes it clear this is the ethic of Jesus Christ. And it's a salvation issue. This is why the Anglican Church right now is dividing over this issue, because it's actually a salvation issue. 
1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. These people will actually miss out on salvation according to the scriptures. The warning is firm. God will reject those who reject his holy way. Those who played around with the sex gods of this generation will not be welcomed into eternity. The reality is that they will not enjoy heaven for they did not live for heaven on earth. God only wants those in his kingdom who desire to live for the kingdom now. Is that clear? The warning is so firm. Those who inherit the kingdom crush the idols of sexual desire. In the church of Thessalonica, Paul praises them because they turned away from these sex gods, which he calls idols, to pursue the true and living God, Jesus Christ. And that enabled them to wait faithfully for his return. And that waiting was not idleness. That was a life of purity and holiness. For such people of holiness, eternal security is assured. I need to say it again. I'm not saying that you're not saved by faith alone. What I am saying is faith alone is never alone. Faith always manifests itself in holiness, in fruit. This is not easy believism. This is gospel faith. This is the faith of Jesus. Christ has redeemed you and now he expects you to have it as your goal, a redeemed sexual life. And so that's the second reason to be holy, to be protected from God's wrath that is to come. And the third reason to be holy is this, to be a peculiar people. Israel is to be different, strange. Look with me at chapter 20, verse 26 in your Bibles. You are to be holy to me because I am the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. That phrase, set apart... And you can miss this in the NIV, but it is actually violent language. And the KJV gets to it, the essence of it, because it says, I have severed you from the other people. This is at the essence of holiness. It is being cut out of a way of doing things to live a brand new way. This is a complete divorce between peoples. When God rescues his people, he divorces their previous life so that they could now live a brand new life. When Israel was violently cut out of Egypt, and it was violent, wasn't it? If you read the Exodus narrative, it was like she boarded a ship and traveled to a brand new world to terraform it 
to set up a brand new society. The old lifestyle, the old identity, the old home was gone. The new identity beyond the sea in the promised land was before their eyes. With Egypt behind them and Canaan before them, they were almost like a new species of people, people from another dimension, people from another cosmos. They were to be weird. They were to be oddbots. They were to be strange. The sex ethic of Israel was designed to turn them from unholy pagans to, in a sense, holy aliens. When people looked at their lives, it should confront them with weirdness. <laughs> what? Why are you having sex with your sister? Isn't that a bit weird? The Egyptians would have thought. Because Pharaoh often married his wife and his sister. The Canaanites who loved pagan um, sex in the temple with men and men would have been like, why aren't you doing what we're doing? It's fun. They would be seen as radicals in their day, revolutionaries. And like Israel... We too are called to be a peculiar people. And so at the start of this teaching, I asked, how did God transform the sex ethic? Three things. Ready? God provided Israel a foundation for her sex ethic, and that was holiness. God showed Israel examples of what sexual purity is not. And God shared reasons to inspire Israel to obey the sex ethic. But what should we make of this teaching? It is always important to ask this question when dealing with a biblical text. What should we make of this for our lives today? Well, the beauty of the Bible is that Jesus actually never changed this sex ethic at all. He didn't change it. The apostles didn't change this sex ethic at all. The early church did not change this sex ethic anymore at all. The only people who have tried to change the sex ethic are 21st century revisionists, who I would say are far from the way of Jesus Christ. And so the beauty of the Bible is that Jesus did not change the sex ethic and we see in Revelation chapter 22, verses 14 to 15, Jesus said these words, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And so in the city are those who dress themselves in fine linen, and that linen is has the image of being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. These are the sexually pure people. And if you go back to Revelation 19, 8, John tells us that the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And so, in other words, those who are clothed in the blood of the Lamb evidence their salvation through righteous acts, holy acts. But outside the city is another group of people altogether. Who are these people? Well, they're considered dogs who have adopted the characteristics of the harlot that Christ Jesus slaughtered, who corrupted the earth with her immortality. These are those who, rather than clothe themselves with the purity of Jesus Christ and his holiness and his blood, clothe themselves 
with the way of the harlot and drink from her toxic chalice until their death. So what is the difference between those in and outside the city before the return of Jesus Christ? Well, at the return of Jesus Christ, sorry. The answer is holiness. Holiness. We are saved by faith alone. But let me say it again. Saving faith is never alone. Martin Luther said that. Washing ourselves in the blood of Christ, Jesus enables us to now live that brand new life of sexual purity. Let us then not be afraid to live out the revolutionary sex ethic of God as a blood-stained church of Jesus Christ. Let us resist false teaching and pull down any flags that end up in our worship spaces that are contrary to the way of Jesus Christ. Let us stand opposed to those who bless what God curses and even cause God to vomit out. Let us avoid drinking from the deadly chalice of the harlot before it consumes our very soul and leads us so far from Christ that it changes our view of Christ altogether. Church, we are on the front line of an ancient revolution. As people robed in the blood of Christ, let us then put not his name to shame through our lives. Let us not put his death to shame. Let us instead pursue a life of sexual holiness. Amen. Let us stand and ask the Lord to build our lives in this way.